What do you think about rules? I mean, just as a general topic of discussion, do they make you mad? Do you like them? Do you embrace them? Do they tweak your flow? Do they cop your buzz? What do you think about them? I mean, because rules, I I spend an awful lot of my time talking to people about rules, 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 rules. Let's talk about them today, mostly because you guys asked me to. Everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. Spring is in the air, at least for us in North America, and uh, it is a really uh, rejuvenating time, so it's it's great. I like spring, because spring is spring, right? And it makes you think of, like, summer, and you can use the outdoor TV and get longer bike rides with less clothing on. Now, I'm not talking about nude bike riding. That is a complete different category that I'm not talking about. I'm talking about, you know... Not having like a fleece and a vest and that kind of thing. You know, I'm sorry. I got in too far. Help me get out of this. That's for sure. So um, it's it's super good to be with you. I hope things are going well for you. Um, And I hope that that you found harmony in the new normal. Is that a good way to say that? And not to sound too freaky deaky. I don't want to sound too freaky deaky. But I I hope it's good. For me... um, you know, just trudging along, man, on that bicycle. I've been riding my uh, just a lot because uh, it's really fun. And I think that's what I like about it is it gets away. But this weird thing's happened, you guys. And um, and I think I'm happy about it is when people come to visit me and they want to talk about work stuff, which happens once in a while, which is nice because I don't have to go anywhere and we can, you know, make enchiladas or go to, a, you know, just get together and have a little work discussion. Now what people are doing, and it's happened four or five times, is they actually um, schedule a bike ride meeting. And that is a really good way to do a meeting. Because you just cruise around, you know, get on the bike trails and just kind of cruise around and look at stuff and talk. And, and uh, I don't know, it's that, that if I didn't know that was going to happen like i didn't predict that who could predict that would happen but it's kind of fun and and it's happened more than once i mean so if you want to meet with me and talk about stuff uh you know um get together and meld our brains as it were which you can always do i guess um think about scheduling a bike ride because it'll be fun and we'll have a great time and you can wear your bike outfit your your cyclist cosplay I'm not going to wear it, but you can. You can wear your little cleaty things and and your spandex coveralls or whatever they're called. Yeah, that'll be that'll be exciting. But uh, that's fun. And other than that, you know, it's spring rejuvenation. It's all about sort of, uh, at least for us in North America, getting out of what seems like a really long winter. I suppose it's because there was just so much going on. And there is kind of, at least for me, I don't know if you feel it, a little ray of something is ahead. Uh, a, a ray of hope, maybe? Is, is is that what you call it? I, I think that's a, probably a reasonable term for it. Um, things are zooming along. Thank you for sending your jokes. It's not too late, so do not think you've missed it. Um, but I really am, uh, I've become quite motivated 
with this joke idea, this joke episode idea. And what's weird is, we're, you know, people are starting to send in jokes. So that's good. Now, it's you can do them a couple ways, and I realized I didn't say this the last time we spoke, but you can definitely record them, you know, just on your phone. It's no big deal. And send it to Todd Conklin, office Todd Conklin at gmail.com. That's easy. Or um, a lot of people uh, just typed them out, wrote them out. And that's fine, too. Uh, and I'm... I'm not picky. I mean, that's great because it's the joke sharing ability that's good. Um, it'd be more fun to have your voice. Just saying. That's all I'm saying. But if that's creeping you out or you don't want to do it, which I understand because that can get a little creepy maybe, um, then maybe I'll have somebody else voice them. Or maybe maybe I'll use an accent and sound like I'm a different person. Is that possible? That, that could be possible. But nonetheless, send me your jokes. It's great. And it's super easy. Just office Todd Conklin Gmail. Um, it's it's one word. And we'll take them from there and, you know, run them through uh, immense levels of production. Not really. But we'll take them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. It's something, I, it's something that I want to look forward to. So, And I bet you will, too. So it'll be cool. Okay. So let's talk about what's going to happen today. So today... By special request. So I've been spending a lot of time um, talking about rules, and you have too. I mean, don't act like you're innocent. It's 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 a part of the discussion that happens a lot for us. And I've been working with an organization that has an, a special sort of relationship with uh, life-saving rules or cardinal rules, all those kind of rule things. And I think that's you know, worth debate. We can have a giant discussion. We've talked about it before. We can talk about it again. I will say before we go much further that rules are not controls. So they're not hard engineered controls. They'll never be hard engineered controls. They're at best sort of administrative uh, pieces of work. And we can talk about the importance of compliance because it's important. We can talk about rules all we want to. But I think actually what we should talk about today are kind of the rules for following rules. And that is, in essence, what I've been asked to talk about kind of by a lot of requests, so I need to do this. But I also think this is a pretty helpful way to think about rules. So with that, let's jump into a conversation about the rules for following rules. Okay, let's see if I can do this right. I, so, I don't know where to start. Well, that's not true. I know where I want to start, but I wonder if where I want to start is the right place. Because I'm not going to talk about rules. I'm not going to talk about compliance. I mean, we can have that conversation. It's just not this one. What I want to talk about is what do you do when somebody doesn't follow a rule or they don't do the right thing? I made little air quotes when I said right. When they, when they flagrantly violate, right? And it seems like the quick answer is you punish. Oh, that's when we engage the wheels of discipline and we start to discipline people and we smack them around. You know, we cut their pay or give them some days off without leave, or fire them, or make them clean the bathroom. Well, you know, whatever the case is, what do we do when they don't follow rules? 
And that's actually what this conversation needs to be about. And, and so maybe we'll start here because I want to give you, dare I say it? Should I say this? I, will this get me in trouble? I want to give you a tool. What it really is, is a diagnostic. It's a way to look at a problem and know where to start, know what to do. And it's not terribly conceptually difficult. It actually is based around the work of a guy named W. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Fisher with a C. And he has worked traditionally, he's no longer with us, unfortunately, he's an academic, but he worked around this idea of fidelity. And so fidelity is a really interesting idea because when, when I hear the word fidelity, I think, you know, you are faithful to me, right? Or you're faithful to your love. That's kind of the essence of the word fidelity. But, but that's only one really quite finite and narrow example of fidelity. What Fisher talks about is fidelity to rules, to following rules. And he's developed something that he calls the Fisher Fidelity Scale. And it's, it's what you, so you don't know this, but you're an expert at it. So when somebody, somebody tells you a story or, you know, you watch a, an event or a movie, I mean, anything, right? You're going to test it based upon this fidelity score, this, this way to rationalize and understand if somebody is being compliant, if they're being faithful to the rules of the road or the rules of the organization or the life-saving rules, whatever the rules are. And so he says that anytime you're in a position where somebody doesn't follow a rule, they don't do something that they should have done. They're not compliant. They vary from the procedure. They don't do the checklist, whatever it is. If there's ever a time where somebody doesn't follow a rule, then you have to engage this test for rule following. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I don't know about you guys, but I actually am always looking for ways to make really complex, very ambiguous decisions, less complex, more transparent and less ambiguate, disambiguate the situation. And that's kind of what this does. So I'm going to toss this out to you. But as you listen, as we talk today, think about a case in your past where somebody did not follow the rule. And what they say is, is that in fact, if a person doesn't follow the rule, there's one of three tests that they did not pass. Maybe I should say it differently. At least one of the three tests. Sometimes it's two of the three, and sometimes, ugh, yuck, it could be all three of the three tests. But somehow the test did not pass. So here's what we're going to, we're going to build a case upon this, that people will follow the rules if they meet three tests. And those tests are really simple. First, they must know the rule because you can't follow a rule you don't know. Secondly, the rule must have operational fidelity. And we've already talked about the word fidelity, but the rule must make sense to the person who has to follow it. They have to understand the rule. They have to understand why it exists, why that rule is there, 
what that rule means, what the consequences potentially could be if you don't follow it. The rule has fidelity, right? And then the third thing is that the rule is consistently applied. And if you're ever in a case where somebody doesn't follow one of your rules, then the very first thing you should say is, let's put it up to this fidelity test. Let's check it with the Fisher test. Did they know the rule? Yes or no? Right? And, and nothing's as easy as yes or no, but let's go with that for this discussion. Did the rule make sense to them? Did it have fidelity? And do we consistently apply the rule? And here's what Fisher will say, is if they don't follow the rule, one of those, at least one of those things is missing. And that, I think, is incredibly helpful. Because it actually takes you from the who failed to the what failed. It takes you out of this notion of a better worker would have done it better to sort of understanding the local rationale, the reason, the why, if you will, I hate to use that word, but why, the why the rule didn't work. And that actually is pretty interesting. I mean, if you think about it, let's look at these individually. So first of all, you must know a rule to follow a rule. Well, that makes sense. I mean, a rule that's unknown is not a rule. Like, just because you know it's a rule, but the person doing the work doesn't know it's a rule, doesn't make it a rule. I have to know the rule. And the example I would give you is one time, it was a long story, but my suitcase got caught in some administrative issues around the x-ray thing at the airport. And I couldn't reach it from the side that the passengers stand on, but I knew if I walked around to the back of the x-ray stand, I could grab it from the back. And so I walked around, because of course I was probably late for a flight, because that's pretty much the story of my life. I walked around the edge and into the sacred back area of the x-ray thing at the airport and grabbed my suitcase. And man, the place went crazy. Um, you know, holy cow, you can't be back here. That's against the rules. You're breaking a rule. You cannot get, get get out of there. And I said, well, how would I know that I can't go back there? And the person said, well, you should just know that. And I said, but I don't. And there's no sign. There's no indicator. Nobody trained me. I'm not qualified, right? I don't, I don't know how to work here. I didn't know that was against the rules. So you can be as mad at me as you want to, and you can yell at me as much as you want to, But nobody told me that I couldn't be back here. And that seemed to work. It could have gone badly, but it didn't. It seemed to work. And it sort of got me out of trouble. Now, not to make light of this, but to a great extent, if a rule is not, if it's not indoctrinated um, into the worker, if they haven't been trained on it, they haven't seen it, they they don't know it exists, if there's a rule that no one knows, it's not a rule. Enough said? Probably. I mean, we could go on, but I mean, that seems to kind of cover that one. Which takes us to the second test. The rule has to have fidelity. It has to have operational fidelity. The rule has to make sense to me. Now, this is probably relatively important for us to talk about. Because rules that don't make sense then become pretty much targets for deviation. Because if I don't understand why I'm, I need to do this, if nobody's told me why this matters, 
and it takes a long time or it's burdensome or the effort's crazy or it's hard to do, right? Uh, I'm probably not going to do it, right? And I've thought about this a bunch in my life because there's a lot of rules that we have in our normal work. Like if you work for a government agency or a big company, if you're an educator, you work in a hospital, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are rules that somehow help answer some question for somebody somewhere, but they don't have any value at all for me at the pointy end of the stick at the operations level. I just don't, I don't get why this matters. And because I don't get why it matters, if I have, if I'm in the midst of some kind of goal conflict, production pressure versus efficiency or thoroughness versus safety, I'm always probably going to cheat towards doing it easier and not cheat towards doing it harder, doing something I don't understand because it has no value. Does that make sense? Because that's a pretty important one. So, so there are tons of examples of rules that don't make sense. But the one I think about all the time is, you know, I live in Santa Fe. I talk about it all the time. And at the end of my street, the bike trail actually follows the same street. But at the end of that street, there's a big intersection onto a big road. Uh, what do they call it? An arterial. It's a, it's, a, it's a road that's designed to carry a lot of traffic, which I might add sucks for crossing on a bicycle because it's designed for cars, not for people or bicycles. And the weirdest thing is, is if I go early, like before 5 a.m., when I pull up to that intersection and hit the little sensors in the street, the light turns from green to red. So it's like 4.30 in the morning. I'm going to the airport. There's not another car within sight. There's no cars at all. There's no other cars. And I pull up to this intersection. And as soon as I hit the sensor, the light turns red. So it's green all the way up there. I can go, I can go, I can go. And then when I, I get within feet of that intersection and hit the little magnetic sensor, it somehow turns red. Well, here's my problem. It's four o'clock in the morning. There's no other car. So there's no reason at all for the light to have turned red. And so I sometimes fantasize about just running that red light and going on to the airport. Now, I didn't say I did that because I would never admit that publicly. And I would never admit it on the podcast because then they'd use it against me in a court of law. But I fantasized about it, right? Now, that would be a safe thing to do because there's no cars. But if it were noon on a Tuesday and I pulled up to that intersection and it turned red, I'd stop because if I ran the light, I'd get smacked by another car and that'd be bad. So here's what I've thought. And I've thought about this a bunch because it really is a real story. I mean, it happens a lot. They clearly have installed the light. So the sensor is wrong clearly because the sensor shouldn't turn red when you get to it. It should in fact notify the computer inside the stoplight, the semaphore that, a car's there, and at worst case scenario, it should leave it green. At best case scenario, it should adjust the other lights so that I can pull straight through, right? And since I've decided it's installed wrong, I no longer think it's a valid control. In fact, I'm pretty certain, you guys can check me on this, if I go to court, there's not a judge in the world that wouldn't say, you're right, Mr. Conklin, you're a genius, please. Take an extra donut, and sorry we took so much time. 
I mean, I'm pretty convinced that everybody would agree with me. I don't know if that's true or not, but here's what I know. Because that light responds in a way that's different than it should, or maybe I should say than I think it should, I think the light's installed wrong. And because I think the light's installed wrong, that control, that rule has no impact on me at all. And what's crazy is if you look in your operations, you're going to find stories at least that bad, if not worse, because they exist. They're definitely out there. There's no question about it. They're out there. And then the third one, rules have to be consistently applied. Okay, <laughs> so here's the elephant in the room. This is the big bazooka. This is it. Because I would actually offer to you that the notion of consistently applied rules is very, very difficult. Because we don't consistently apply rules. We're not good at it as organizations. We're not even really good at it probably as individuals. We're not good at it as parents or dog owners or, I don't know, fellow citizens of the globe. Because depending on the context, and to a great extent, as much as it hurts my tongue to say this, depending on who the person is, rules are very negotiable. And they've always been negotiable. Even rules that are non-negotiable are negotiable. Because things like status and class and power and influence, those have very, very strong impacts on consequence and rule following and rule policing and how we actually manage our systems. Because I promise you guys, I promise you, promise you, promise you that if the CEO of your company breaks a rule and the junior maintenance tech level three breaks the same rule, the consequence for breaking that rule will be extremely difficult, different and difficult, but mostly different between how the CEO is treated and how the junior maintenance guy level three is treated. And whether we want to talk about it or not, and it's a big social justice problem, and it's probably easier to not talk about, we know it's true. We absolutely know it's true. And so the idea of consistent application, it's appealing, and we think it's possible, but my guess is just between you and I, and that's all that's talking right now, just you and me, is that it's probably never possible. And we do our best, I think, in, in most cases, to consistently apply rules across the organization. But it's hard to sort of imagine a case where that actually happens all the time. And I always think about it. If your best worker breaks a rule and your worst worker breaks a rule, in practice, the rule is the same. So the consequence, therefore, should be the same. But in reality, I'm going to work hard to ensure my best worker stays my best worker because I need my best worker to get work done. And probably I'm not going to work as hard to ensure that my worst worker gets to stay. In fact, I might use this opportunity to actually move my worst worker out of my department and into your department. That idea is a big one for us to think about. Because as much as we want to say we consistently apply rules 
around deviation from procedures, we don't. In fact, we don't really consistently apply rules based upon consequence. So if I break a rule and nothing bad happens and I get work done faster and the product quality is better and the customer is a million times happier than they should have been, maybe I will be rewarded for breaking that rule. But if I break a rule and a bad thing happens and I lose a batch, I'm pretty certain there's going to be consequence that I'll have to pay somehow with time, energy, effort, humanity. There'll be some kind of consequence that I have to pay because that rule was broken. Those are Fisher's three tests. And you'll see him in other research because, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's the dude and other people have read the dude, so people know the dude. But that idea that there are three diagnostics, and this is where I think this makes its money. When a rule is broken, what you want to ask is which one or two or three of Fisher's tests was not applied or makes the most sense or answers the question. Did the worker know the rule? Did the rule make sense to them? Is the rule fairly applied? And if the answer to any one of those is no, then you don't have a problem with obedience. You have a problem with the way the rule is distributed and used within the organization. And I'm sure there are rules that are pretty much um, accepted and effective at every level. I mean, I can't think of any. I'm trying to think of an example right now. I can't think of any that come to my mind. But there are probably rules that are are incredibly effective. And the reason they're effective is that it meets all three tests. And if you think about it, that actually, in a way, makes our job easier. I mean, in the scheme of things. Because it allows us not only to diagnose the local rationale, how come the worker didn't follow the rule, but it also then points us towards what could potentially be some kind of corrective action to the system in which the rule is applied, not to the worker in which obedience is expected. And what's interesting, at least Fisher's theory is, is if you meet those three tests, then you don't really have to manage the behavioral part of this equation. What you manage then are the three tests. Consistent application, rule fidelity, the rule makes sense to me, and knowledge of the rule. That's my discussion on rule following. And I actually think, I'm hoping, I could be wrong, please tell me, but I think starting here is the best place to start when you talk about rules. Because even though it seems like we started at the end and we'd move backwards to talk about compliance and, and rule following and why rules exist and how weak they are as controls, it seems like this conversation allows those other conversations to happen. So when you look at things like life-saving rules, right, which I've been doing a lot recently, you have to ask this question. Do people know them? Do they make sense? And the kicker is, are they equally applied in success and failure at the same time, in class status and influence at the same time? 
And if your answer is no, well, there's your answer. William Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Probably worth looking into. I mean, if you want to read more, you can definitely read more on it. It's out there. I think this is a super helpful part of my development. I learned early. Um, only because I was exposed to Fisher academically. And I thought, well, yeah, this makes a lot of sense to us operationally. And it does. That is my discussion on rules. I hope you liked it. Those are trumpets. What do you think? I mean, that's a good discussion. I, I think that's really helpful. At least I found it really helpful. Uh, and I've used it for years. I mean, because it's such a good diagnostic. I mean, if you look at somebody, why didn't he follow that rule? Everybody knows that rule. Well, look at it and ask that question. Does everyone know it? I mean, really? Does everyone know it? Does it make sense in this case, in this circumstance? Is the local rationale good? And um, do we apply it consistently? That's pretty important. Okay, so that's the pod. If you have jokes, office Todd Conklin at Gmail. I really want to do this joke episode. I'm totally serious. So, and we're not getting a lot of jokes. Like, it's, I'm getting nothing. So I'm curious to see if you've got something you want to share. Um, just send it. We'll, we'll put it together and craft it. If you can record it and send it, that's even better. But until then, that's the pod for today. Have fun, you guys. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. That's really important. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. See, I don't think people really think I'm serious. I really do want your jokes. I think this would be fun. I would have a good time. And isn't that why we're all here, to make sure I have a good time? See you later, guys. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends.